Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. We are going to be starting Matthew chapter 10 at the top of the chapter. So if you want to get your Bibles ready, welcome to Calvary Chapel. And I do just uh, want to say this this morning. Thank you for coming. And I really mean that. Thank you for coming out. It's so wonderful as I was in the back there uh, watching you guys praise the Lord, uh, getting your Bibles out, ready to study God's Word. You know, before we uh, had this pandemic that uh, changed all of our lives in, in March and abruptly all of a sudden fellowship came to an end in March, before that I remember uh, one of the services that I was reading uh, some statistics from Barna Research that in America as a whole that fewer people are going to church. And it kind of broke my heart. And now that, you know, when this happened and, and uh, we've been navigating through it for now seven months, um, I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for coming out because we need to be in fellowship. I'm hearing statistics that, um, and I don't know, you can do a lot with numbers. We know that, right? And some are saying that uh, a third of the church, people who are in fellowship going to church, uh, who are able to go back are not going back. And um, I pray for us that we would always have a hunger for the word and know that it's so important for us to gather together. I know that there are some of you that you're listening online and, and because of health reasons and high risk, that you're not comfortable in being in the crowd. We miss you guys. And, and uh, looking forward to the time when you can join us when you're comfortable in doing that. I got an 87-year-old mother who loved to be here uh, who can't be here because of very high risk. And, and because of her age, she's just not comfortable in doing that. So we certainly have understanding and compassion for those who are, um, you know, dealing with those challenges and stuff. And I pray the day will come where we can all be together freely. But I thank you for being here. I really do. Um, we need to be together, uh, especially in the day in which we are in. And isn't it a blessing, amen, to be here? I, the coffee shop is a lot of people out there, and, and uh, we're going to be here together um, as long as we can until the Lord returns. Couple quick uh, prayer requests. Um, first of all, e-bulletin, check it out. Wednesday night, last Wednesday, uh, the online crashed and uh, we weren't able to put up the teaching. So we, I believe, got that all fixed and we'll be in the book of Jeremiah. Join us at seven o'clock, calvarychapelgreeley.org and then also Facebook Live, Calvary Chapel Greeley for the Wednesday night through the book of Jeremiah teaching. And I know that it'll be a tremendous blessing for you because Jeremiah says a lot. We are living in the days of Jeremiah folks. And uh, so we want to study God's word. We want to continue in that Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And then also, uh, I got to uh, want to let you know that uh, we are not going to be doing outside anymore. We provide it. And uh, today's kind of cold. It's indicative of what's coming. So we're going to stop doing that. And we've been providing that through the month of September. Just wanted to pass that along. So <clears throat> all the information, CalvaryChapelGreeley.org. And be sure to take a look at it in the bullet. A couple quick prayer requests that I have for you. Um, this is an election year. As you know, that I don't talk a lot about politics. I want to keep the focus on the Word of God. But I do want to say this. As we're inside the 40 days uh, of getting close to uh, the election and election day, is I want, first of all, for you to be praying for our nation. This is a very important election. 
And yesterday, as many of you were watching uh, that prayer event, the return in Washington, D.C., where tens of thousands of Christians came out to pray for our nation and to pray for our leaders. And I have a daughter that's out there now. She was at that uh, prayer event, Barbara, and then uh, Ashley, too, my daughter-in-law. And I'm looking forward to talking with them, but we need to be praying for our nation and also um, to be sure that your voice is heard. Be sure to vote. And you might be thinking, how do I vote? This is how you vote. Vote the Bible, okay? And like anything else that I've encouraged you in life, any decisions that you make, filter it through the Word of God. So be smart. Do your research. Look at the candidates. Look at where they stand on different issues and then run it through the Word of God. So vote your Bible, all right? When it comes to biblical morality, be sure to read Romans chapter 1. You can read most of the Bible and filter it through there. When it comes to the sanctity of life, Psalm 139. Um, When it comes to, uh, you know, the policies concerning our military or police officers, uh, read Romans chapter 13. Filter everything through the Word to God and then make a wise and godly decision on that. And uh, I don't want people to leave here saying, well, Pastor Jeff told me to do this, to vote this way or to live this way. I want the Lord to tell you and for the word of God to guide you. And he will guide you in that. So first of all, register. Second of all, be praying for our nation. And then thirdly, let your voice be heard. Because I believe as Christians, more and more in our nation that is headed in a, in a direction that very much concerns me. Uh, that we need to let our voices be heard and we need to hold our elected officials accountable. So I want to encourage you in that. So be praying for um, our nation, for the election coming up. Be involved. Let your voice be heard. Do your research. And, um, and you vote according to the Bible, okay, and how the Lord directs you. Second of all, um, be praying for particularly our young people. I know it's hard uh, for those of, of all ages that have been restricted in, in coming health issues. But this last week, my heart has been really heavy. What we saw in Boulder of the lockdown of the students, that they cannot meet in any groups, inside or outside, um, even threatening them with up to 18 months in jail if they violate that, or I think a 1000 or $5,000 fine. Um, and so they're isolated inside, cannot meet in groups. Um, and, you know, it, it just, my heart breaks. And, and then at CSU, as students are locked in their dorms as well, isolated and alone. We haven't seen that at UNC, but you students at UNC, I want you to know this. We will be here Friday night for young adults, for you. We are not shutting down. And we're going to be here to give you the love of Jesus Christ. And it breaks my heart because that's what Satan wants. Satan wants to isolate those kids to where they can't go out and they target that group 18 to 22 years old. And I know there's a lot of reasons they say good reasons to do that. But the effects of it on those young people, I think, are going to be devastating. We know how the two-week thing goes. Because what's going to happen in two weeks when they say it's okay and you can start coming out? So... I'm not going to get on a soapbox. All right, we're going to keep the focus on the Lord. But I tell you, you know, Jay, you might want to stop recording. I feel like going over there and doing an underground church. I really do. And if you want to come and you want to worship, we'll be there. 
And, um, and it just breaks my heart what we were seeing in that they're being told that you cannot go to church, you cannot fellowship, you can't go out and be with others. And it's sad to see that. And I think that Satan is really desiring to use any means that he can to keep people out of fellowship. So we need to be praying. We want to be careful, of course. We want to be smart and wise. And this has been hard. This has been hard for me to navigate through all of this because all of a sudden as a pastor, we are to be concerned for your, your spiritual health. That's always been a priority, but all of a sudden your physical health. And, and we're wanting to do the best that we can, but we need to be together especially in the day in which we are in, because keep in mind that whatever happens with the election, that the Lord sovereignly sets those in authority. But second of all, it is all coming and culminating to something. Amen. And that is the Lord's going to come back and establish his kingdom. And we belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. But we want to be praying and we want to be praying for our young people that are being, you know, isolated in that way and targeted. And it just breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart. So, Father, we just ask that you would just, um, right now, just, just be with those who are not able to come out and be in fellowship, that have health issues. We miss them. And, Lord, uh, we pray for the time that they would be able to join us soon. And I thank you for all who have come out this morning, that we can worship you and hear your word. But, Lord, we pray for our nation right now. We pray that, Lord, as we rush in towards an election, it's very important that the future for our children and our grandchildren um, is at stake. And, Lord, I pray for a return with our leaders and with our nation back to you, because that is our hope. And, Lord, there would be a spiritual revival in the church and in this nation that we would be light to others and, Lord, just share the gospel of Jesus Christ, even as we're going to see this morning, that we're going to be reminded that there is a harvest out there that is plentiful. And, Father, I pray for our young people that are being isolated more and more and, and locked in their rooms and, and going through depression, going through suicidal thoughts, uh, going through confusion, uh, feeling hopeless, Lord, that they would know that there is a God that loves them and that you are the God of hope, and you're the one uh, that hasn't forsaken them. So, Lord, I pray that we would get that message, be able to minister to our young people. But, Lord, I also pray for our leaders that there be a turning to you. We are instructed in Scripture to pray for our leaders, and we pray that, Lord, there once again be a turning to you we, for this Supreme Court nomination. I pray that it would be able to go through uh, because we have somebody who values life. And uh, somebody who um, has faith. And, and Lord, um, I know that there's all kinds of different views. But, Lord, we pray for a nation that is founded upon biblical principles and truth and had a fear of God at one time that is losing that and getting further away from you. I do pray that you, Lord, uh, once again, would just bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 10, as we begin to read at the top of the chapter in verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. 
Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, he's always listed first. And Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Libius, whose surname is Thaddeus. And Simon, the Canaanite, or that is the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. He is always listed last. As Matthew was inspired to write about, as we saw last time at the end of chapter 9, about the compassion of Jesus towards the multitudes that he looked out upon. He was moved with compassion. And he would pray for laborers to go out into the harvest field. He gives now the names of 12 who are going to be used to go out into that harvest field. And these disciples of Jesus, they've heard him preach. They've watched him perform miracles. They have seen his compassion. And now they see Jesus unfolding his plan, that is to commission those to give the message of the gospel, to do the work of the ministry. So they go from a time of listening and watching to now serving and working. And we see in chapter 10 here that Jesus calls his disciples from the ranks of the ordinary, these men known as his apostles. And as we look at this group of guys, we don't see a long list of diplomas or academic credentials. They don't have prestige or wealth. They are ordinary people to do an incredible work of God. And I believe that's something that he desires for all of us to be reminded of, and that is that he wants to use us. He wants to equip us. He wants to enable us to do a work in the kingdom, ordinary individuals like you and me. And again, as we read in verse 1, that Jesus called his disciples. That word disciple literally means a learner. He personally called them to learn of him, be prepared by him, sent out by him. In Luke chapter 6, we know it tells us that Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, and he continued in prayer all night. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Later, Jesus would say to them, You haven't chosen me, but I've chosen you, and ordained you that you may bring forth much fruit. And not only did Jesus call them, but he gave them the power to do what he called them to do and working in the kingdom. Uh, they're preaching the gospel. They're doing all kinds of healing. And I want to remind us that as the Lord calls us, he will never call us to do a task or a certain ministry to minister in the body of Christ, whatever it might be, without empowering us as well. That empowering of the Holy Spirit. He will empower us, not so that we're elevated, elevating ourselves, not to glorify ourselves, not to, so that we can become celebrities, but to elevate and to promote and point to Jesus Christ, to have people hear of his love because he is the one that saves and forgives and changes lives. And when you look at these 12 apostles that Jesus called, he didn't call them because they were so intelligent or because they were so physically fit. Uh, they were really handsome or emotionally tough. He didn't call them because they were so spiritually mature and deeply faithful. He didn't have them fill out an application. He didn't have them take a personality test that told them that they should be apostles. These guys weren't qualified according to the religious leaders of the land. And I don't know why Jesus would call these 12, but I don't know why he would call me either to have the privilege to pastor this church. I don't know why he called me, but he has. And anything that has been done through the ministry here, through my ministry, it's only because of the Lord working. And he's the one that gets the glory. And, and he didn't look at me. 
he wasn't all impressed, and, and I wasn't qualified in the world's eye to do what he's called me to do. But I am so thankful that he has, and I rejoice in that. And God has me up here, I am convinced, to be an encouragement to you, that if he can use somebody like me, he can certainly use you. Uh, uh, it is true what God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And those things of the world, that the things that are despised, God had chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no man can glory in his presence. And we see all throughout the scriptures, don't we, God using and empowering people, ordinary people, to do an extraordinary work. We see that in the book of Judges, don't we? Gideon, who was the least in his family, his family was the least in his tribe, the scripture says, and his tribe was the least of all the tribes of Israel. And yet Gideon was used to take 300 men and defeat 135,000 Midianites there in the book of Judges. I think about David's mighty men, 400 men who killed giants and defeated armies and had great victory. And there's a description of those 400 men given to us in 1 Samuel chapter 22 as it tells us and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to David. I think about Amos that wonderful prophet who was a fig picker and he was one that prophesied to a nation. Nehemiah was a cupbearer and was used to build a wall around Jerusalem. I think in the New Testament somebody like John Mark who failed miserably on that first missionary journey of Paul and, and Barnabas. He left them and it caused contention between Paul and Barnabas. But we know that Mark would be used of the Lord as the Lord would restore him and grow him. And he was used to write the gospel of Mark. And at the end of Paul's life, he would say, send John Mark to me. He's useful to me. And you have here in our text these 12 ordinary men that God will use to turn the world upside down, to take the gospel to the world as we read in the book of Acts. And as I mentioned that, because God can and does desire to use people like us because the harvest is plentiful to do his work. He calls you and me and then he works through you and me. Don't think that he can't use you because he can use you. And he will use you. And he will use this church. As we look at these 12 individuals, you have listed, first of all, Simon, who is called Peter. He's the one that we're the most familiar with him. He was called Simon, which means shifting sand. And the Lord later would call him Peter, which means stone or, or rock, little rock. And indeed, as you look at his life and his ministry, he would be transformed from one who was a fisherman to a fisher of men. This one who at times was unstable and shifting and the things that he did and the things that he said uh, to one who was like in a rock. And Peter would do and say and see amazing things. And then the next minute he would be rebuked by the Lord. He would boldly confess the Lord at Caesarea Philippi and then miserably deny him in Caiaphas' courtyard. He was given the keys to the kingdom one moment. And in the next moment, he's called Satan because he attempted to persuade the Lord from Calvary's cross. He would walk on water, and he would sink in those same waters. 
Peter had a tendency always to be so busy. He had to learn control and constraint, and he had to learn humility. And Jesus was always patient and loving and caring towards Peter, just as he is with you and me. And so you're no longer shifting sand, uh, Simon, your little rock, Petros, Peter. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, God used Peter in the most powerful way. He stood up and he preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 got saved. He would stand boldly before the religious council. And he said he would continue to preach Jesus Christ and the message of the cross. He would eventually die a martyr's death. It was in John chapter 21 that Jesus said, You're going to stretch out your arms, Peter. And it is believed that at the end of his life, that Peter would be arrested by Caesar Nero and they would crucify him upside down. I think that we can relate to Peter so much because when we read the Gospels, he reminds us of ourselves. And when we read the book of Acts, he reminds us of what we want to be in Christ. The second apostle listed is Andrew, the brother of Peter. He, he too, was a fisherman, as we read in chapter 4 of Matthew. And being the younger brother of Peter, he didn't mind and that he wasn't in the limelight. Uh, he, he wasn't in the inner circle with Peter, James, and John. And Andrew was called the missionary apostle because he brought people to Jesus. He brought his brother Peter to Jesus in John chapter 1. He, we're going to see in Matthew 14 that he brought the little boy with the fish and loaves to give to Jesus to feed a multitude of 5,000. He brought the Greeks to Jesus in John chapter 12. And so we can learn from Andrew because he didn't, it did not concern him if it seemed as though he was left out or he took a back seat. He would be used greatly of the Lord. He was a man of simple faith, and Jesus picked him and used him. He didn't care if he seemed as second because he wanted Jesus to be first. What about you and me? Is that our hearts? Andrew shows us that should be the mindset and heart of all Christians. And I believe especially today in the celebrity mentality of our culture and society that has so much of that crept into the church. We desperately need those who are willing to forget themselves and simply bring people to Jesus to live for Jesus, to speak of Jesus. The next two apostles listed are James and John, the sons of Zebedee. It, it is seen quite often their names together, uh, mentioned together in the Gospels. James probably the older than John, and really little is said about James in the Gospel. We see Peter, James, and John would be picked out by the Lord on special miracles. We just saw that with the rising of Jairus' daughter. They came into the house with Jesus. Uh, we're going to see that the Mount of transfiguration we also see that they will pick, be picked out to join Jesus in praying in the garden of Gethsemane before he is arrested James and John were called the sons of thunder and it showed in the beginning of their ministry I've mentioned this before but they were in this area of Samaria in Luke chapter 9 and and this village didn't receive them and it was James and John that said should we call down fire from heaven and consume these people Really sensitive, right? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're from. And they were not only were they intense, but they were aggressive as well. They had their mom come to Jesus right before he went to the cross and said that, can my son sit at your right and at my left and uh, your left and be number one and number two in your kingdom behind you? But the Lord worked in their lives to be used of him. James would be the first of the apostles martyred. We read about that in Acts chapter 12. 
12, tells us that he was killed by Herod. John, his brother, would be the last of the apostles to die, and later in his life would be known as the apostle of love. It would be love that is the theme of those three epistles that you have in your Bible that he wrote. He's the great revelator who wrote the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, and he wrote the gospel of John. And he would start out, let's consume people, to reminding us as Christians that we are to love people. And I know that the Lord has done that work in many of us as well. Before I knew the Lord, I didn't really care about people. I didn't care to even associate with people. But as the Lord came into my heart, just as he came into your heart, we begin to love people and see people differently. As we move into verse 3, we next have Philip. John's gospel is what tells us about his character and personality. In John 1, it was Philip that said to Nathaniel, Hey, we've come to find the Messiah that Moses spoke about. And the response to Nathaniel was, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, Come and see. Do we say that to others? When others, as we are presenting Jesus to them, they say, can anything good really come out of being a Christian that we can respond by saying, come and see. Come and see that the Lord is real, that the Lord indeed is good. Philip would often know the facts, but he was slow to faith. He would be on that night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, that Philip said in that upper room, show us the Father and it will suffice us. And Jesus said, oh, Philip, I've been with you all this time. Don't you know that if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, then look at me, Philip. Next listed is Bartholomew, or known as Nathaniel. Some have suggested that, that he was the brother of Philip. He was the kind of guy that was what you see is what you get. And what he, you know, he said what he meant, and he meant what he said. Jesus called him while he was under the fig tree. And then there's Thomas listed there. His name means twin. He's known as the doubting disciple. It would be in John chapter 20, after the resurrection of Jesus, that Thomas was with the disciples when the Lord appeared. And, and, and the Lord said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands, the hole that's there. Reach it, your hand to my side that was pierced by that Roman soldier. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas would respond by falling on his knees and worshiping the Lord and saying, my Lord and my God. But as we look at John's gospel concerning Thomas, we also see that he had a, a, a great deal of dedication and he had courage. Jesus had been ministering on the far side of the Jordan when he received word that your friend Lazarus was near death. Uh, there at Bethany, the town of Mary, near Jerusalem, and come to Judea and heal Lazarus. And the disciples uh, told and warned Jesus, don't go there. The religious leaders are going to take you and kill you, realizing that there was danger. And it was Thomas that piped up and said, let us go also that we may die with him. Thomas had a willingness to die with Jesus. It would be Jesus that would be with his disciples in that upper room for three years. And Jesus had been preparing them for his death and resurrection. And Jesus was telling them that I'm going to go away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas, like the others, was so confused. Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus would say that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm so glad that Thomas asked that question. 
Thomas was one that was confused in the upper room and down and discouraged, knew that something heavy, heavy was coming down. He was feeling the same things that all the disciples were, but Thomas said simply what everyone else was feeling. And this doubting Thomas, God would restore his faith, and he would know for certain that Jesus was risen from the grave and that he is truly Lord. I think that all of us, have gone through times or seasons in our lives where we doubt and where we're confused. Our, weak, our faith weakens and falters. We begin to doubt about the promises of God. We doubt that God desires to work in our lives. And the Lord lovingly ministers to us just like he did Thomas. And he desires to use us just like he did Thomas who would be a missionary to take the gospel to India. Thomas went further than any other apostle into the depths of the lost Gentile nations, and he would die as a spear was thrust into his side, taking the gospel to a place where he would die, be martyred for Jesus Christ in the gospel message. The next one mentioned is Matthew, and as we talked about him, obviously, in the previous chapter, and he records his calling uh, that uh, I, I do think it's interesting in the listing of the 12. He writes Matthew, the tax collector. It's the only time that the tax collector is, is put uh, and associated with his name. And Matthew does that in his gospel because I think he was always aware of the wonderful grace and love that the Lord had shown him. He was amazed that God would call him the most despised, the most hated, the most uh, considered an outcast. It was Matthew that loved much because he was forgiven much. And Jesus took a person who was in the business of ripping people off and making their lives miserable to one who would bring joy and happiness and wealth into their lives to bring them the gospel. God took a total outlaw, an outcast, and turned him into a man of faith and a man of humility and compassion. He would give them the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, Matthew, as he would be martyred for his faith and trust in Jesus as well. And the next one listed is James, the son of Alphaeus, also known as James the Less. He's unknown. There is nothing known about him in the scriptures. It is speculated that his mother was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. He is known for no you know, outstanding accomplishment or achievement. We don't have a single word that he spoke or a single thing that he did that is told to us in the scriptures. But the Lord knew him, and the Lord used him, and he knows the things that you do that are unknown. And you might be here thinking, nobody knows what I do. You know, no one sees it. No one knows my name. I feel so much like the last that, that I'm not valuable in the kingdom. Listen, the Lord sees you and knows you. And what you do in life as you do it for the Lord is very important. He's going to reward you. And early church fathers claimed that uh, this one, James the Less, went to the area of Persia, that is Iran today, and preached, and he would be martyred, as most of the apostles were. And then there's Libius, whose surname is Thaddeus. We know from Luke 6 and Acts 1 that he is Judas, the son of James. So his given name seems to be Judas, but Libius or Thaddeus are descriptive names, added perhaps by family and friends. Libius means heart child, which suggests generosity and love and courage. 
And that's what I pray has worked out in our lives, that we would have generosity and love and courage displayed through our Christian lives. The one clued into Judas here is found in John 14 in that upper room discourse. As Jesus was saying that and in a little while uh, longer and the world will see me no longer, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And at that time you will know that I am my father's and you and me and I and you. And it was Judas that asked, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And like the other disciples, Judas thought that Jesus at that time was going to establish the kingdom and rule from earth. But then he would learn that Jesus was going to go to the cross and die for his sins, that he may rule from our hearts and our lives and be forgiven. Some church traditions suggest that he went to that area of Syria and had a powerful healing ministry, and he would be beaten to death by clubs. And then you have Simon the Canaanite, or Simon the Zealot. Now, the Zealots were the extreme patriots. They were men who valued freedom above life itself. They were men who were willing to sacrifice their own lives or even see their own families be martyred in order that they might be free from the Roman oppression. They were rebelling constantly. Now, think about this. You have Simon the Zealot sold out on rebelling against Rome, a radical. Then you have Matthew, who was a traitor working for Rome. If they would have met in any other circumstances, Simon would have done Matthew in. I mean, here you have a zealot who absolutely hates the Roman yoke and is willing to sacrifice his life to overthrow it. And then you have one that is directly employed for Rome itself, for the emperor himself. And Jesus brings them together. This is important and commissions them to minister and preach the gospel. And it is only Jesus that can take people from different backgrounds, different experiences. We all, you know, have different things in life and, 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 and diverse backgrounds, and he brings us together because we have one thing in common, right? We love Jesus. We love Jesus, and that's what brings us together. And then finally, you have Judas Iscariot, known as the betrayer. He's always listed last, as I said. We know about him. He's the one who sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus said of him, if it would have been better if he had never been born. Jesus called him the devil. He followed Jesus for purely selfish reasons. A year before Jesus' crucifixion, he turned to his disciples in John chapter 6 and said, there are some of you who do not believe a reference, I think, to Judas Iscariot. David prophesied his betrayal in Psalm 41. Zechariah predicted the exact amount of money that he would be, would be used in the betrayal of Jesus. He sold out our Savior for 30 pieces of silver. He sold Jesus out. And I pray that there would be no one here that would be willing to sell Jesus out. Sell them out for a career or for money or a godless relationship or selfish desire or power or pleasure. That we wouldn't waste our lives like Judas did. Judas betrayed Jesus and Judas was held responsible. Judas had the same opportunity that is extended to everyone. To accept or reject Jesus Christ as personal savior. Yet God did know sovereignly that what he would do. On the outside, Judas was a regular guy. According to the gospels, no one suspected that 
Judas was the one that would betray Jesus. When Jesus in that upper room there at the Last Supper said, one of you is going to betray me, all the disciples said, is it me? Is it me? And they didn't suspect Judas. He wasn't the uh, one that they thought would do that. Matter of fact, he was the one that was most trusted, Judas. He was the treasure. He held the money. You give the money to the one, to the person who's most trusted. He was a remarkable hypocrite. Judas is recorded as saying only one thing in John chapter 12. When Mary came with that act of worship and broke that alabaster box to anoint Jesus for his burial, he got upset and he said, that was a waste. Why did you do that? That could have been sold to the poor. We could have got 300 denarii, nearly a year's wage. And we know that John went on to say that he didn't care about the poor, but he was a thief. He was stealing the money. He cared about money and the things that money could buy. He wanted the earthly benefits of a restored Jewish kingdom, and he had no interest in personal righteousness or holiness. He came to Jesus for the political and material advantages, and we will see as we go through Matthew that Jesus' hand of grace was reached out to him. Jesus gave him every opportunity to renounce a self-life and to come to him for forgiveness of sin. I'm sure that Judas started out not intending to betray the Lord. Perhaps with each miracle, he expected our Lord to overthrow Rome and to establish the kingdom. Perhaps Judas thought that he could force the hand of Jesus and have him arrested. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. His supreme act of hypocrisy is that he pretended to love Jesus. And Judas ended up dying in a violent act of self-destruction. He hung himself. Judas' life gives the greatest example of a wasted privilege. He lusted for material things when he could have had and inherited the whole universe as joint heirs with Christ. Listen, nothing is a bigger ripoff to exchange the riches of the world for the riches of the kingdom. His life leads to a tragic example of where the love of money leads. Judas loved money so much that he was willing to sell the Savior in his soul. And he's the supreme example of an ungodly life that hides behind Christ while he serves Satan. And these 12 Jesus sent out. Now, I've spent a little bit of time going through the names of these apostles because I really appreciate not just the quality, but the lack of quality of these men. That gives me hope, and I hope it does with you. He didn't pick the superstars. He didn't pick the who's who of the nation or the known world. He picked the who's he. And yet these men, with the exception of Judas Iscariot, were the ones that impacted the whole world for Jesus Christ by the working of the Spirit. And what the Lord is showing us this morning is this, that he can use us and he desires to use us to do a glorious and marvelous work because there's a harvest field that is out there. And he said, pray for laborers of the harvest to go out into that field to work for his kingdom. He wants to use us and he wants to accomplish his work for his glory. These 12, none of them highly educated, none of them wealthy, just common ordinary men to do a great work of God. And he still calls ordinary people to do a great work of God. And I say this very humbly and I say this respectfully. It is just wrong for any of us to say God can't use me in some way in serving him to be in a blessing to others. We might think I'm so ordinary. I'm not trained. I'm not qualified. Listen, God will call you and he will gift you and he will empower you. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
You know, any of you that go to a symphony, that uh, a concert, uh, the instruments playing is very beautiful. And at the end of the concert, there's applause. The applause goes to the one playing the instrument, not to the instrument. We're just instruments for Jesus Christ to be used of him to do a beautiful work of the Lord. And in our Christian lives, there is a time when the Lord will press upon us, okay, it is time to serve rather than always be served. It is a time when immaturity must give way to maturity, that selfishness gives way to selflessness. And I'll tell you this, it is a great joy to serve the Lord and a great privilege to serve the Lord. And he desires for us to just be a blessing to others. We are going to see as we move through this chapter that Jesus says there's great reward when you give a cup to a prophet, when you do the simplicity of ministry that he's called you to do. So the 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them. So next week we're going to see them going out into the harvest field. So Lord, we thank you so much for this study and this lesson. And Lord, as we close here this morning, first of all, I do want to pray while you're here, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you have opportunity to do that right now. To come to him for forgiveness of sin. To come to him for eternal life and right relationship with the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It means that you repent, quit going the direction you're going, and that you call out on the name of the Lord and surrender to him. You can do that right now. He is your life. He is your salvation. You can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Forgive me that I confess I'm a sinner. You're the one that died on Calvary's cross for my sins. You rose again and you're alive. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And I do. I want to walk with you and know you and I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God. Father, I pray for every single one of us that we would be ones that we desire to be out in the harvest field because when we leave this place, we all have a mission field. To be a blessing to others, to be a message of the good news, to bless others, to use our gifts, to be empowered by you and know that the kingdom of God is real and it is forever. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Once again, keep us all safe. Take us home safely. Look forward to what you have for us. And Lord, as we meet again on Wednesday online and then as we go through the week and gather here once again. Thank you for the privilege of us being able to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.